The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome to Museum Life. I'm Carol Bossert. Thank you for joining us today. I have a great guest uh, for you today and very timely and topical uh, for everything that has been going on since the beginning of the year. Here we are. I can't believe it. We're in mid-February already and uh, gosh, so much is going on in in the world in general and in our nation and uh, those of you who uh, follow and participate on Twitter as I do know that a whole lot of just great discussion is going on uh, within the museum world as well. And so I have as my guest today, Monica Montgomery. Uh, Many of you know Monica, uh, both on her work on on Twitter and also as the director of uh, the Museum of Impact and Museum Hue. Monica is just well, she's, she even calls herself a Renaissance woman, so I'm, I'm going to go with that as well. She has been so involved in, in speaking and teaching and uh, consulting and, and really uh, doing what, what she tells us all to do in terms of museum activism. So I'm not, with that little bit of an introduction, I'm going to let Monica speak for herself in terms of giving you her sort of career trajectory and and her thoughts. But before that, Monica, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much, Carol. It's good to be here, and happy Black History Month. (laughs) Black History Month. Um, Okay, uh, Monica, as I promised, uh, uh, now you get to speak. Um, Would you just uh, please share with our listeners your your career path and some of the things that have really uh, helped mold you into the uh, museum professional that you are today? Sure. So I'm actually coming to this career in museums and arts administration as a career changer. Um, I've had several careers prior to this. I was a nonprofit fundraiser, a marketer. I used to publish a magazine, a classroom teacher. And I think all of that admixture has led um, to museums. So just to be honest, when I became interested in working in museums, there was no real blueprint for me. Um, being college-educated, having a graduate school degree, but not having gone to school for this, it was a little hard to break into the esteemed kind of um, exclusive market that is museums, and there wasn't a lot of um, 
insight and or people that were willing to kind of open the door to me. I think I had a lot of credentials, but I didn't have the access, the patronage, the privilege that it took to get an interview. So I kind of started out as a volunteer. I was always obsessively Googling things, reading journal articles, um, going to as many conferences as I could, trying to meet people, trying to learn by doing. And that resourcefulness did pay off. I was able to eventually get from volunteer to my first visitor service job um, and rise the ranks into museum educator, community engagement consultant, and ultimately directing a historic house museum, the Lewis Latimer Historic House Museum. And now I've blazed this new trail today. So I'm standing at the intersection of being a diversity equity consultant, being a keynote speaker, an advocate for inclusion and community, and a museum activist. And I'm excited to add author to that list of titles. Um, I just published a chapter in the Museum's Forward book that was released by the University of Illinois at Chicago. So all of those things are kind of giving me this interesting perspective and now being the strategic director of Museum Hue and founding and curating for the Museum of Impact, I'm able to really bring my social justice values to the table and I'm loving every minute of this journey. Well, um, thank you, Monica, and and congratulations on on the authorship. I I have a copy of that book, and I have read your chapter, and I forgot to uh, mention that earlier. But uh, but thank you very much. And actually, that it's for those of you listening, it is a fabulous, fabulous uh, a compendium of uh, really some of the the best thinking in museum justice work today. And Monica, I you know, what is interesting to me, and you, you and I met uh, just, just a few years ago uh, on the very first Museum Workers Speak uh, project, and, and uh, you know, you just have so much to offer this field, and I am so glad that you persevered. What I find find interesting and we may you know talk about this a little bit further I mean clearly museums are a place of privilege and it is uh, difficult to break into them I, I agree with you completely uh, on the other hand uh, those of us who entered the field say 25 years ago while we were still privileged in many regards uh, it was not unusual to start out as you know, sort of a volunteer and kicking around and uh, and working our way up the ranks, and I say that only because there there was no other option. There were not museum studies programs. You didn't have to have a master's, uh, you know, a PhD in curatorial work. Yes, but but in, in all these other areas, uh, a lot of my friends were school teachers, uh, and so I just uh, you're. Your story is so typical, I think, of this generation, and I think we're it, that I just see that there are even, instead of reducing the number of obstacles, uh, mm. inadvertently we maybe have added some, and that's something yes. that I think we as a profession need to take really seriously. Certainly. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to know I'm not alone in my path. <laughs> No, no, no. I, I, uh, in fact, it's 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 very common. It's one reason I always like to start the show this way. But but uh, but it is really something that we have to keep in mind. And I think we'll circle back to that as we look at how uh, institutions today really need to be broadening their their uh, 
uh, job searches so that they can find people like yourself and others who haven't gone into tradition, who have so much breadth of experience that they can bring to a museum job that would be lost uh, if if we didn't uh, you know use different approaches to uh, uh, to find people. Um, I want to shift tax just a, a little bit. Uh, you know, you've, I follow your speeches. Uh, you, you talk about, um, you know, certainly uh, museums and social justice and making uh, museums and, you know, embracing spaces, uh, open spaces. But what does, what does that, that really mean to you in practice? Sure. So I am a fan of the word embracing. I think it's such a wonderfully kind of emotional, resonant word. It makes you feel warm, like you've been hugged. And I like to think of museums as places that should be embracing spaces. And so, in essence, um, what does an embracing space look like? It's a museum that's creating a physical or a virtual space for people to be welcomed in and outside of their walls, so within and without, how can we create a warm, welcoming, intellectually curious, stimulating space that's welcoming people in, that's honoring their lived experience, that's trying to reduce what my friend Nina Simon calls threshold fear, where people are nervous to come in the door because they don't know the social etiquette, the codes, the cost of admission, they don't know how it works. And it's a term that I like to use sometimes in place of audience inclusion. So when we talk about inclusion, of course, we're talking about people with different abilities, people from different backgrounds, different sexual orientations, gender expressions, and ethnicities, and beyond. But how can we literally welcome them in and hold space for them? And that's what I would call an embracing space. And I also am a big fan of saying that museums need to be in service to society, which is revolving around having a civic vision and a social justice framework for your museum and having that guide, the strategic plan, the operations, the outreach, education, and so on of how our museum can function. It's a very utopian ideal, but I think we can get there. Yes, and it and it really it reminds me too of one of my favorite quotes from uh, Stephen Weil, who said that you know museums need to to stop being about something and be for someone, uh, mm. and it. And I and I, uh, you have expressed that um, in in very very eloquent uh, elegant terms. Can you give me one example of of an I don't know an embraceable moment uh, in a in a museum that you you have witnessed or you've you've helped instigate. Sure. Well, I am biased, so I'll speak about one I've helped instigate. <laughs> I tend to think that um, I'm doing good work along with the many other consultants and institutions out here. So I recently just got back from Portland. I've had the pleasure of consulting um, with the Portland Art Museum and having my institution, Museum of Impact, partner with them to create a community curated gallery. This gallery is called The Art is Ours, and it's part of their new exhibition, Constructing Identity, which is really um, an overview of amazing African-American artwork and the African-American artists that created it, and it's from the Petrucci Family Foundation. So this exhibit, Constructing Identity, of course, on the cusp of Black History Month is so relevant, so timely, even beyond Black History Month, it's going to be up till June, and they're really trying to get people throughout the African-American diaspora 
in Portland to come to the gallery. And so when bringing me in and with the work I do with community engagement, inclusion, and beyond, I'm thinking, how can we get everyday people to feel like their lived experience is being reflected in the artwork of this gallery? How can they share their feelings? How can they make art in response to that? So we made the closing gallery space, which is the Art is Ours space, this really fun, warm, welcoming space with couches for kids and adults with books and a reading resource library with a community response wall and a whole series of artwork that's made in response to the art where the community can feedback, can have agency, can have voice, can say, yes, the art is ours and here's how. And I've really been excited to do that work and that's going to run throughout the length of the show. That is a fabulous example. Uh, thank you so much for sharing sharing that because I, I think it also touches upon um, it's easy to talk about participation. Um, it's sometimes difficult uh, or challenging to do that. And I, I think that your example in particular is not simply inviting people in to show what the museum has done, but is inviting people in to have people sort of stay and live it themselves and, as you say, respond with their own artwork not uh, and their own self-expression uh, that I'm sure is uh, uh, surprising uh, every day. Right, and I have to say, it's been really great working with the staff there, Mike Murawski, who's the Director of Education and Public Programs, and the very progressive leader, Brian Ferrizo, who really wants to bring this kind of dynamic to the space. And so one of the things we're doing, in addition to just having people read about black art, make their own artist response, but we also have a section where each week a different member of the Portland community is going to create a prompt, and other community members will respond to that prompt. So we're creating this literal archive of call and response of what people are thinking and wondering about related to the art and otherwise, and that also is going to extend and organically evolve throughout the show. And, and I'm excited that we're bringing a lot of public programming to Museum of Impact. We specialize in activating event spaces, museum spaces around social justice issues. So we're planning for poetry slams and festivals and zine making, all of this to activate the space and let people know the art is ours. That is, that's wonderful. Um, wow, I've had so much fun. I, I can't imagine that we're coming up close to our, our first break. But before we do, I do want to to ask you this, um, just to, to clarify for me, I mean, uh, you know, I am all into vocabulary uh, because I think that so often we just miscommunicate because we don't understand what each other are saying and just in terms of the words we use. So you have, you use a term museum activism, and I'm just wondering if you could help, uh, you know, help define that for me and our listeners. Sure. So the way that I envision museum activists is that institutions themselves and the people that are working within institutions are really advocating for the causes of the day and advocating for the people within museum spaces, whether that's the staff, 
via like museum workers speak, advocating for better staff treatment and parity, whether that's the audiences. You have a blog like Visitors of Color that's talking about how audiences are feeling when they come in these spaces, or if that's the current events where you have amazing museums like the Center for Civil and Human Rights and the museum and other spaces that are talking and curating around current events. How are we advocates of people, places, ideas, and current events so that no one is getting left behind, that no one's voice is being silenced, and so we're really bringing ourselves to a point of relevance in today's society. So I think a museum activist is simply an advocate that's taking action around the issues. Thank you. That's, that is, um, that's really uh, uh, helpful for me, particularly as we're you know, sort, of, sort of dealing with a, a polarized uh, nation, unfortunately, and, uh, right now. It, and I, just to, to clarify, I mean, museum activism then is an opportunity to break down those polarities because a museum is inclusive for all. Correct? Certainly, yes. And even when we think of what's been happening in the news lately, the Women's March, which just swept the nation and the international communities, right now there are so many institutions that are collecting memorabilia, artifacts, protest signs. I personally, through the Museum of Impact, am creating a protest garden exhibit from signs I've collected. The New York Historical Society, many university galleries are collecting that because this is a moment of historical importance, and we can't just look to the past as the glorious past without realizing that our future is in jeopardy and we need to take action around it. Thank you. Great. And I think that this is a, a perfect time uh, to take a pause, take a little break. Uh, and when we come back more with uh, Monica Montgomery and uh, her wonderful examples and uh, just a, a, an inspirational uh, discussion. So please stay tuned. We will be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Thank you. 
You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bosser. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bosser at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and I am here talking with Monica Montgomery, uh, you know, uh, now newly published author, in addition to a lecturer, teacher, and a fabulous, fabulous uh, consultant. Uh, also, the director of museum of uh, the Museum of Impact and Museum Hue. And right before break, uh, Monica was talking uh, to us about um, you know what she means by museum activism and. And uh, I won't try to paraphrase her her eloquence. If you missed that first segment, please go back and uh, take a listen because I I it's it's just it's what we need at this time in world history. And I think it really presents museums as not just something nice to have, but something essential to have in our society. Uh, so, you know, Monica, I, I, you know, you've been uh, doing a lot of lecturing. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to your, your, your Ted talk and your, your presentation at museum next. And, and I recently uh, just read the transcript of a, of a press presentation you did for the greater um, Philadelphia uh uh, Arts Alliance, and you know, looking at things like exploring uh, equity, diversity, cultural sensitivity. I, you know, you go all travel all around the country. How how receptive is our sector to you know this this these this philosophy of activism? And you know, and I got to ask you this: How much do you think is just rhetoric, and how much is true? you know, pull up your bootstraps, uh, be brave, and committed action. Sure. Well, first off, I'm very lucky to be amongst other amazing equity, diversity, inclusion consultants that are doing this work for longer than me. I'm definitely bringing a unique flavor and approach to it. But in my travels, you know, speaking at different stages at, you know, Museum Next and AAM and the Black Museum's um, conference and more, I would say there's definitely a demand for speeches around this, which is wonderful for me, right? Everyone wants to hear what they should do, how they may have been doing it wrong, how they can do it right, what are some tactical strategies they can implement. But I feel like if we're looking at a percentage, it tends to be about 75% rhetoric and maybe 25% action. And I'm ready for those stats to change because a lot of people want to bring a consultant like me in to work with their group, certainly to speak to their group or leave behind a white paper or a knowledge product that they can then implement and use, and I'm happy to do that. But when I check back in, I'm like, okay, so how's it going? Are you making your workplace welcoming, inclusive? Do you have gender-neutral bathrooms? How many more people of color have been hired? How many more women and people of color are ascending to leadership? And that's where it gets a little fuzzy and people are saying, oh, we're in the process, but there's still, you know, a long way to go. And so I believe that we, museum professionals of conscience, museum activists, progressive people in general, have a responsibility for the organization and the audience, not to just talk diversity, equity, inclusion, racial equity, but to live it 
and to take action. And I don't want to see things end in the graveyard of task forces or committees. I want to see that forward motion, that change, so that entrenched systems and systemic oppressions are broken down, and that when we use diversity, which has kind of become a catchphrase, and other terms like it, it's showing how actionable it is. And you check back a couple months later, and here's the action we took. One of the things that I said um, in a talk that I gave for the Education Committee for the American Alliance of Museums was that I would love to see a radical shift, the way that businesses do metrics, and some of these businesses that are like triple bottom line businesses where they're valuing the people, the planet, and the profits, a business like Tom's Shoes, they have the one-to-one model. So for every one pair of shoes that you buy, that also funds one pair of shoes that can be donated to a person in need of footwear in a developing country. I would love to see a museum diversity one-to-one model. So for every six-figure curated curator or privileged historian or fundraiser or museum director you hire at that level, you are also building in the funding to hire a person of color, to pipeline someone from within, to hire someone who is on the LGBTQAI spectrum, to bring someone who has previously been marginalized into these new echelons of power. And I think that would really change the game. That is... A, a wonderful, wonderful model, and you know, Monica, I'm I'm thinking too. Um, I I've all, on this show once in a while. I I talk about you know virtual dinner parties. I mean, people, mm. guests that I've had on the show that I would like to come together and really have a great discussion. And and one of the virtual dinner party ideas that that I think we will make into a reality. Uh, I will host you and John Jacobson. Uh, uh, John was a guest on the show uh, late late last year. He talks a lot about metrics, and uh, that was a it was a really interesting show. And we started, you know, as it always happens, the best conversation was in the last five minutes of the show, and and a lot of it, a lot of it was, uh, you know, talking about well, you know, we have lots of different kinds of metrics we can use for our success, but but an area where I felt that you know maybe. Maybe we weren't. He his his metric framework wasn't as strong, but certainly the framework would allow it. Are the metrics that you're talking about? So I think the two of you could get together and make a really fabulous product, and I'll I'll try to make that happen. Please do, and and I just <laughs> also want to say that you know diversity, equity, inclusion, and all the initiatives around that it goes deeper than checking off boxes. It's what we know that needs to happen for our institutions to be enriched, for us to stay strong and vibrant. So it's not just about saying, oh, we hired this many of this kind of person, or we pipeline this many of that kind of person. It's an ongoing, organically evolving process where we're proactively identifying leaders, we're pipelining folks, we're making sure our spaces are non-offensive and inclusive, and we're starting conversations that maybe have a little bit of discomfort. We're tackling those tough topics where we need to understand how to unburden ourselves, how to let go of our implicit bias to keep strengthening our organizations and valuing our people. Well, you know, and I'll just say this, Monica, one of the things that I have respected so much about your work uh, and in your writings and in your speeches is that you include yourself in uh, continuing to police you know, implicit bias. We all have them. Uh, and 
I love the questions that you ask yourself uh, and you continue to ask yourself and I'm starting to ask them of myself too uh, because we can all continue to grow and be a little uncomfortable and start to be comfortable with that uncomfortableness because that's where growth really happens. So thanks very, very much. Um, I, you know, sort of a parallel question here, or perhaps uh, you are uh, a big influencer on Twitter. I, I love, um, uh, I follow you. Uh, I follow many of the uh, discussions. I'm getting better at following Twitter discussions. I don't always have to have somebody storify them for me. I can see, I can grow too, uh, but I'm just, what are some of the, can you sort of share some of the interesting things that have been happening to you because of the tweet chats and Twitter conversations? Sure. Um, I love Twitter, and it's really a way for me to learn about new people, new collectives, institutions, and new ideas. Um, I've been very blessed. I've lived a very charmed Twitter life. And so Twitter (laughs) has just connected me with so many great people. I was um, about half a year ago recently DM'd by a young lady in the UK in London. Her name is Sarah Wajid. And she just reached out and said, hey, I'm coming to New York. I know you have Museum Hugh going. I'm getting some things off the ground here in the UK, and I'd love to talk with you live. And I'm like, great, that's my favorite thing, talking live, talking online, just talking, right? So invited her to come out. We met in the cafe of the Brooklyn Museum, and I invited some of my Museum Hugh kind of board members and core supporters to come talk with her, so maybe a group of 10 of us. And we just discussed what's happening. She's of Indian descent. Of course, a lot of the members that we have are Latino and Asian and African American and even white folks, too. And everyone was just like cross-pollinating and vibing about like what they think museums need and what what could happen and where are some knowledge gaps and really had some great discussion so after that i was thankful thought nothing more of it next thing i know she invited me out to the uk to present to the group that she had formed called museum detox museum detox i think was born online through a series of twitter chats and then started to meet in person and they are people of color within the uk having meetups they do flash mobs at museums to show that people of color in the uk do go to museums and it was just really great so i flew over there after a conference talked with the group, made some great connections, and I just feel so glad to have now a whole new group of friends in the U.K. um, from Twitter. Also, simultaneously, in terms of my speaking and keynoting practice, I was invited recently to speak at the Internet Festival in Pisa, Italy. And this, again, came through a DM on Twitter, and they wanted me to give my kind of signature speech of why Black Lives Matter in museums, and I showed them the video of what we do at Museum of Impact, and there was a translator that was translating all my words and at the end even though very few people spoke English I got this like standing ovation and that was another great moment like wow Twitter is really bringing people together so I'm I'm extremely happy to be an avid Twitter user oh that's that's fabulous and I having heard you speak and watched you speak you know you don't need you don't need the sound for your your uh uh, for your enthusiasm and uh, and thoughtfulness I, to to come to come across, um, I'm wondering, could you share? It, it may be too soon. Um, you know, we're still in sort of the grips of 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 a period of history that you know we're just some of. I, I, speaking for myself, I'm still trying to put words to what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. But but how? 
I know. Have you have you noticed any shift either in in any direction um, uh, in recent Twitter chats? Say like in the you know weekly museum workers speak Wednesday chats, or uh, you know the Black Lives Matter uh, chat, or even. Um, uh, uh, Day of Facts, which um, actually will be... February 17th. <laughs> Yay, it's happening! Yes, coming right up. I'm involved in that, too, and I'm really excited to support the work of Allie Hartley, who's out of Museum Workers Speak, and so many other great people and institutions that are signing on for that. I think Twitter is getting even more radical in speaking truth to power than before. At first, you know, the early tweet chats, people were a little hesitant, like, maybe museums need to change. Maybe we could suggest this. Now it's like, down with white supremacy. Museums got to do this or else. Like, it's a very radical activist energy, which I personally love, and it's done in love. It's not done to berate or downplay anyone's institution or any individual, but it's meant to really push us forward in an intentional way. Last night, the Museum Worker Speak chat was all about museums and public unrest and how this moment in time where there's threats or rumored threats of funding um, and other things happening in our society, how do museums intersect with that and how can museum workers intersect with that? And I tweeted from the Museum Hue account something that was a little, um, you know, again, radical, but I, I wanted it to be said. They were saying is the time right for museum activism. And I said, you know, the time is right for shared authority. Museums used to speak for the people, but now museums need the people to speak up for them. So even that twisting and turning of museums are now maybe claiming the activist, um, you know, name or the, or the activist handle and title, but how can, again, we go from being this who speaks for whom top down to being a space of shared authority where we're realizing the value and the energy and the importance of our visitors and our stakeholders? Yeah. Wow. Uh, that, that's very interesting as well. You know, it doesn't, doesn't take much for a few words to shift the, the whole perspective. And one of the things, uh, as you know, I've been really, really struggling with um, uh, is just, you know, every so many years, it uh, doesn't really matter who, you know, what, what, administration is is in Washington uh, you know the NEA the NEH museums I'm alas come under fire um, you know sort of someone someone says well gee why do we need the arts and you know it's always interesting and in, in my generation because we've been uh, you know over this so many times you know the first statement is oh my god here we go again and then the second knee-jerk <coughs> noticed is we say oh well we need to go out and become more relevant if we just told people why the arts are so important they would automatically you know start mm. supporting us and I I think that uh, and I'm, I'm finding it refreshing and you've just said it is that it's a shared authority it is not just for museums to say well this is why we're important it's to have those conversations so that we can learn from the rest of our community, what they value in us. And right, and we shouldn't be reactionary in terms of right. our activism. It needs to be proactive. It needs to be how can we always be making the case for relevance and, and making sure that people are feeling like they are stakeholders in our journey, not just when the funding cuts come and there's a threat. 
Excellent. Yes. And with that, we're going to take our second break. And when we come back, more with Monica Montgomery. uh, truth be told, uh, this is a pre-recorded session. Monica and I were unable to get together any other time because she is just so crazy busy. And so this will actually air on February 17th, and that is Day of Facts Day. So a lot's going to be happening, happening uh, that day as well. So uh, stay tuned. More to come. Uh, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We will be back in a moment. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert from Museum Life, and I am here with Monica Montgomery, and I don't know who can talk faster uh, and who's going to win that that uh, race. Monica, we have so much to talk about, and I'm going to stay try to stay quiet, and that's going to be hard, uh, but there's, there are so many points that I want you to share with our audience, and the first is um, you have been a proponent of teaching museum uh, activism and you've crafted some courses. Uh, you've been a guest lecturer for the Johns Hopkins program and and the University of the Arts and Harvard. And so I'd just like you to share some of your thoughts and experiences about this, uh, essentially the, these courses that you are doing in radical museology. 
Certainly. Well, I'm excited to say that I am teaching radical museology, and it's the sort of classes that I would have taken had I went to museum school, but it's exciting to teach what's happening on the cutting edge right now of museum practice. As someone who is a practitioner, also a scholar, but I really like to stay in the realm of practitioner, I'm really talking about what institutions are doing up to the moment, and my students have benefited from that. So in essence, I recently created a course for Harvard University for their Museum Studies graduate program through the Extension School, and it was called Museums, Public Programs, and Social Change. And it really expands on the premise that I mentioned at the beginning of the show that museums are in service to society. They're cultural learning labs and inclusive interpretation, community curation, and engagement to the deepest sense is the future, is what needs to happen. So teaching this next generation of museum workers and scholars that we have the potential for our museums to be these centers of gravity and discourse and that current events and social justice is part of that mandate and that the community-minded museums that are on the forefront of this are definitely shining a light on what's happening, civic unrest, racial violence, human rights, immigration, and beyond, and that is the work. That is what we need to focus on. If we're talking about collections versus community, some people might really not like this, but I am on the side of community. Certainly we want to have engaging content, collections, art, science, ideas, but we also want to make sure that there are people there to witness that and that we're doing the internal work to prepare for inclusive workplaces. So I'd like to share a quick quote. One of my students wrote about the class in the class feedback that I got, and I was just so blown away by her reactions to it and what she took away. Um, she said, in essence, that throughout this course at Harvard, we interrogated museums as historically elitist institutions that at times have willfully neglected communities of color. And we examined the recent call to action that forced museums to rethink their mission and their values. I'm learning ways that museums have to argue their relevance and raise their profile and create a positive economic impact and how important that is. And the course is preparing me to leverage the bipartisan platform of, of museums as a safe space for public discourse on social issues, activism, and public programming. And this has changed my whole perspective of the field. So with quotes like that and those kind of feedbacks, I'm, I'm thinking this is the wave of the future. I'm currently preparing courses for three different universities across the country, online and offline, and I'm excited to see more of this radical museology permeate our museum studies programs. That wow! That's that really is. Uh, uh, that's an amazing quote, um, and particularly, I think, in 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 these these times. Um, what um, I promised, I wouldn't wouldn't talk very much. But one of the things uh, that strikes me with this quote is that when when this individual said it would be a safe place for discourse for all and i think one of the concerns that we have as a society right now is that there aren't places for those uh for those discourses uh sort of the give and take uh we don't have models for it anymore and so that that really is a new role that museums can play and and i hope that we we can embrace that uh a little more uh and and not worry about maybe the metrics of of attendance and uh, income as much as as we have in in the past we have some some new metrics right. uh, so okay uh, next question next question in our lightning round um, mm-hmm. 
you know, we've talked a lot about uh, the Museum of, of Impact, but you really haven't uh, had a chance to explain what it is. Certainly. I'm going to tell you a short origin story, then I'm going to tell you what it is. So, the way that I started a museum from scratch, who does that? Monica does that. <laughs> the Museum of Impact is a mobile social justice museum, the world's first mobile social justice museum from the research that I have done. But before I was doing this work, I was an early childhood educator. I was a preschool teacher in a charter school. And Teaching was wonderful, love working with the youngest children, teaching them ABCs and one, two, threes and values. And around this time, the upheaval in society started with the Trayvon Martin case, where the young man Trayvon Martin in Florida was killed ruthlessly by the vigilante and community watch person, um, George Zimmerman. And when this happened, this was really kind of the nascent beginnings of a lot of the current Black Lives Matter activism. It just blew up in the news, and it shook the bedrock of the school community. And as a teacher of young kids, of, of babies almost, that didn't really know what to make of it, I was trying to figure out what to say, because the students kept asking me questions. They kept feeling anxious. They would ask things that were almost unanswerable. They would say, if you wear a hoodie, does that mean you're a bad person? Or they would say, is it illegal to eat Skittles? Or they would say something really simple like, are we safe? And it was just breaking my heart every day, hearing them ask this, seeing how no one in the school community was brave enough to touch the subject, to go into it, and just all the things that were happening and the students weren't getting the proper context that they needed to make sense of it. So with the consent of their parents, I decided I wanted to create a lesson plan, a unit plan around community care, around kindness, and around Black Lives Matter, because most of my students were black and Latino. And so I started on this path and taught them as much as I could in a developmentally appropriate way, and we did service projects and cleaned up the community and gave each other hugs every time we felt anxious. And at the end of this, I had them write Mother's Day cards for Trayvon Martin's mom and send them to her foundation. Well, at the end of the year... I was feeling good, thinking, okay, I'm going to sign my contract for the next year of teaching. I was really excited about what we had done, and the parents were happy, too. But the principal called me into the office, and the last day of school, she said to me, Monica, your politics are too radical. And I don't know what you were thinking with that curriculum you did, but we don't like it. The school board is murmuring, and you are terminated. You are no longer employed here. And that experience, as sad and emotional as it was, because I hated to leave the students behind, I realized that there needs to be a space for talking and thinking and expressing themes around current events and social justice. And that is what led me to create a mobile social justice museum with that value that museums are in service to society and people, kids and adults, need a space to discuss. So... From that emotionally fraught beginning, the Museum of Impact came into being, and our official mission is that we're inspiring action around self, society, art, and activism. And we go where the people are. We pop up where there's a critical mass. We've been traveling the country. We'll work with associations, with conferences, with people's church basements, with youth groups, big and small museums, to bring exhibits 
and education and other experiences that are interactive and that really honor our shared humanity. To date, we've done over 15 pop-up exhibits at the Brooklyn Museum, Columbia University. We've worked with the Smithsonian APA Center and all sorts of other institutions in between. And we have two exhibits traveling. One is called The Movement is Rising, The Journey of Black Lives Matter, which is somewhat self-explanatory, but that's traveling, talking about all the things that are happening with Black Lives Matter and art around that. The other one is the Upstander exhibit, which is showcasing hometown heroes and celebrity champions and activists that are taking a stand for what they believe in and who's advocating for us. So that is the short story of the Museum of Impact. Oh, wow. I, I Thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that. And what is, to me, is so fabulous is, uh, and forgive me, I go, you know, I always go back to, to those uh, titans who, who taught that I uh, first learned about museums, and that is John Cotton Dana, uh, right. who, you know, in 1901 was saying, you know, museums have to get out into the community, and they have to go where the people are, and, and, and you are really doing that uh, in a, a fabulous and a, an amazing way. Uh, I, I just can't tell you how, uh, how in awe I am of you that, you know, just what audacity to, to Thank say, you. I my own museum, <laughs> and you did. Who else is crazy enough to do these things? That's, you know, that's the beauty of sometimes not coming through the establishment and through the traditional channels, that you have just enough grit and moxie to say, you know what, I'm going to do something radical and wild that the world needs and nothing's going to stop me. And here we are. Oh, that's, that, that is, that's wonderful. Well, I'd also, uh, it, it would be remiss if we didn't talk a, a little bit about the work that you do with the Museum Hue and, and how that is, I mean, you must be so proud of uh, that organization. I mean, it just seems to be just growing in leaps and bounds. Do you feel that way too? I do. I'm, I'm, every day I wake up, First of all, you know, slightly exhausted and beleaguered because of the amount of projects I'm involved in, but also really energized to keep doing this work, whether it's teaching or speaking or helping people get jobs through Museum View or traveling social justice exhibits or just speaking with people that are students that are trying to get their foot in the field. Like, everything I'm doing feels so mission-aligned that I just can't stop. I'm just so energized on a natural high from what's happening. So Museum View is the other organization that I lead in community with so many other amazing individuals and professionals of color. We're really diversity in action. So a lot of folks are talking diversity. We are doing it. We're a people-powered collective um, that is soon to be a nonprofit founded out of the premise that we, people of color, can be radically resilient, can advocate for the needs of ourselves, our audiences, and people that are trying to get a foothold in the museum world, and that we have to build grassroots power. So this is all these folks in the collective, in the network, that are Latinx and Caribbean and Asian and Indian and First Nations and Middle Eastern and African American and white and beyond, very much socially conscious museum and culture workers, arts administrators and leaders that are holding space for ourselves and our peers. And our official mission is that we're advocating and advancing people of color in arts, culture, museums, and creative economy. And through that, we're doing so much, but it all kind of falls under three different wheelhouses. We look at community, culture, and careers. So through community, 
We are literally hosting all of these mixers and gatherings, usually after a large conference like Museum Next or AAM or even um, ASLH. Um, you know, all of them <laughs> will host a mixer so that people can meet folks of color and allies and supporters of Museum Hue that are doing the work, and they can cross-pollinate with conference goers. And we're excited that conferences and associations bring us in to hold those kind of meetings. We also have holiday parties and charitable givebacks. As it relates to careers, that's kind of what we're most known for. We are actively mentoring and coaching job seekers and career changers on how to get museum work that is meaningful, that is thriving wage, that honors the lived experiences and the backgrounds that folks have. So to date, I've placed 20 people across the country in museum jobs, just off the strength of my network and the way that I'm able to move through the world. And I'm excited about that because I know how hard it was for me to get my first museum job, and I never want anyone to feel that uh, outsider energy again. And so we're, we're actively helping people get jobs. We do professional developments. We have a, a private jobs group of about 1,600 people, and people are constantly submitting call for artists, jobs, fellowships, residencies, so we're kind of self-populating the opportunities. And we've grown to this network of over 15,000 supporters online and offline that are supporting our work. So I can go on and on, but Museum Hue is what the world needs, and I'm excited to be at the forefront of that. That is, um, and how long has Museum Hue been in existence? We are almost two years old. <laughs> wow! Gee. We're young, but we're we're small but mighty, and it's you know it's interesting because I just want to say you know Museum Hue was really founded by myself and my partner Stephanie Cunningham, and we came together as two black millennial women in the museum world, both of us hailing from Brooklyn, New York, who were trying to get a leg up, who were trying to figure out how we can advocate for ourselves. Both of us at the time were, you know, still kind of in the mid-range um, museum education spaces, but weren't understanding how we can get into leadership, but how we can advocate for all these folks around us in the same circumstances, who were audience members who didn't feel welcome, who were workers who didn't think they had a chance for a career mobility, and all of the rest of it. And so we held space for ourselves and said, we're not going to wait for a handout. We're not going to ask for help from the powers that be. We are going to be the change, create the movement, and build power as we rise. And so many other folks respect that about us. And then we've now come to work with institutions, doing diversity work and all of that, because we're just literally not asking for permission or forgiveness. We're just doing it. That's that's fabulous. Uh, Monica, thank you so very much for being on the show. But before we go, uh, I, if, so I just wanted to, to reinforce to everyone who's listening, I mean, not only do you do all of these things that you're talking about, but you help others do it too through your, your consulting practice. Yes. Uh, and, and so how can people reach you if they'd like to bring you to, um, to their museum? Sure thing. Well, they can certainly find me on Twitter at Monica, M-O-N-I-C-A, underscore Muses, M-U-S-E-S. They could also go to my website um, and contact me. It's Monica, M-O-N-I-C-A, Montgomery, M-O-N-T-G-O-M-E-R-Y, dot O-R-G. That's MonicaMontgomery.org. Or they can email me, info, at Museum of Impact. Dot O-R-G. And I'm happy to talk with anyone who wants to bounce around ideas or bring in outside help or who literally just needs encouragement in the work. 
Oh, thank you. Uh, and on behalf of the entire museum community, uh, Monica, thank you, and, and Stephanie, and everyone else who is doing such fabulous work these days. It has been just a pleasure to have you on the show today, and let's re, uh, wish everybody happy uh, uh Fact Day, Info Fact Day. Yes, Happy Day of Fact Day. One more plug for the Day of Facts. This is an international social media campaign, and it's bringing museums, cultural institutions, science centers, and other trusted public sources of knowledge together to share mission-related content using the hashtag Day of Facts. You can share as much as you want. They ask you to share within your, your subject of expertise, but realizing that building upon the work that the National Park Service is doing as museum activists, we need to put out more facts to counter alternative facts and hold forth to advocate for cultural institutions. So I'm hoping you all will participate. Yes, uh, yes. And with that, we are out of time. Uh, thank you again, Monica. And uh, we will be back next week with another edition of Museum Life. And until then, this is Carol Bossert. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.